You're listening to The Wrap, a Warren Averett podcast for business leaders designed to help you access vital business information and trends when you need it. So you can listen, learn, and then get on with your day. Now let's get down to business. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of The Wrap Podcast. Look forward to having this discussion with you today. This is episode 66. We are talking to some of our experts, both internal and external, as it relates to the real estate industry. Uh, I'm happy to have them with us today, but also with me is one of my co-hosts, Derek Johnson. Derek, a pleasure to have you back, sir. Uh, Thanks for being with us. Paul, the pleasure's all mine. I appreciate you having me back again at... uh, it, it, it's immediate gratification when I get the invite to come back because it means I didn't mess it up too bad in the last. You, you, you did a great job there. We're glad to have you. Thanks. So who thanks. do we have with us today? We're talking about real estate. Yep. As excited as I am to be here, it's because we have our own personal uh, firm expert, fan favorite, Christy Andrews with us. Uh, and then we also have very special guest and Dave Borsos. He is with the National Multifamily Housing Council. I'll let them share a little bit more with you about... Uh, their proficiencies and expertise. Well, thank you, Derek and Paul, for having us. I'm Christy Andrews. I lead um, Warren Averett's uh, real estate industry group, and I have been hearing uh, lots of concerns from clients and have had multiple conversations with Dave Borsos, and so we thought we would have him come on and talk to you a little bit more about the capital markets. Hey, listen, uh, I appreciate the opportunity to uh, spend some time with all of you. Um, as Christy has mentioned, she and I have spoken quite a bit over the last couple of months about what's going on in the multifamily industry. So I look forward to sharing a little bit of uh, what's going on at NMHC or National Multifamily Housing Council, where we are a federal facing advocacy firm for the apartment industry. So we re- represent typically more of the larger uh, owner, operator, developer, managers, as well as people who finance the properties throughout the country. And uh, any of the issues, both from a legislative perspective or a regulatory perspective that may be impacting the industry. My own uh, specific responsibilities at NMHC are as I cover anything related to capital markets. So whether it's debt access or whether it's equity and putting those together to finance a property, and if there's any regulatory or uh, legislative issues that are impacting those um, issues, then I get involved. And then the one other vertical that I also am responsible for, and those of you who have kids either going to college or in college, is purpose-built student housing. So I get to uh, spend some time uh, advocating for that sector as well with somebody who currently has a kid at Clemson University. I um, understand what uh, the ins and outs of that with personal experience. So look forward to the conversation with all of you. And we're, we're happy to have both of you with us today. And, it, and for our listeners, you're going to get a, a little bit of both the outside the industry and the accounting industry and the accounting aspect of the real estate um, industry. So this is going to be a good discussion. Dave, let's start it off with what Christy kind of mentioned. Kind of give us that that overall status, if you will, of the, the capital markets and, and everything that's related to that as of, as of today. And we do need to say that we are recording this as of um, November 7th. So should anything be different uh, once this gets released? I uh, just want everybody to have a uh, time frame of, of when we're talking about this. And, and Paula, the, the, you know, the specific date is actually very interesting given the challenges in the capital markets right now. And liquidity is certainly a challenge, right? Every one of us have seen the continued rising in interest rates, which has had a dramatic impact on overall liquidity. And has also actually kind of ground to a halt some of the other 
typical activities you see in the capital markets, be it transactional, right? If any, you look at a lot of the large brokerage firms are reporting n- not just a little double-digit decrease, but dramatic double uh, decrease in their total sales volume for this year. And so a lot of, of that is really dependent on where interest rates have gone. You know, I went back and looked at the 10-year, and the reason I look at the 10-year is because oftentimes the, the frequency of pricing debt for multifamily is off of the 10-year treasury. There's a lot of others, but that's probably the most common one. And rolling back to sometime in August, we were at 3.98%, so we were under 4%. And then over the last 60 days, the, it went as high as 5%. It's now back down to in the 460s, and it'll be something different tomorrow as you talk about wanting to pick a particular date. So that volatility is really a big uh, hindrance for people looking to access debt, and it's causing a lot of confusion in the marketplace. It's causing a lot of people to step to the side and say, I'm just going to wait this out. When's the Fed going to be done? What's the impact on long-term interest rates, and how can I actually finance a property if I need to do that? It's really causing a lot of concern. One of the other things is, you know, we need more housing. You look at increase in housing costs, it's not just because of inflation, it's from overall demand. And one of the problems is when people stop building, which is what's happening right now because of interest rate levels, volatility in the markets, et cetera, takes about two years, right? If you had something ready to go, it takes about two years. Well, two years from now, if construction is way down because of all the things we just talked about, that housing problem is just going to get exacerbated. So we may have a lot of deliveries coming in 24, but just, you know, we can have this conversation two years from now. And I, I think we're going to be seeing a significant decrease in the number of uh, apartments being developed, which is certainly going to be a negative impact to the housing cost market. Tell me a little bit, maybe Christy, you can help us out here, but, but how are these challenges and these opportunities, how is it uniquely going to be impacting things for our clients and, and for whom you know in the industry? Well, I know a lot of my clients are just really concerned um, with some of the banking issues and liquidity, the fact that they are having a hard time with getting financing. And then once they can, just the interest rates being so high, you know, they don't want to get locked in on, on a high interest rate and just not being able to really fund the deals um, and make them work from a financial standpoint. So I think there's just a lot of uncertainty um, and just concern, you know, just approaching this 2024 and, and you know, what's going to happen, you know, from a tax standpoint with just some of the expiring aspects of the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, along with the, you know, the interest rates and, you know, liquidity, just all of it is, is causing a lot of concern and nervousness, honestly. Yeah. So along the lines of bank liquidity, I think it's a great question, Derek. And, you know, roll back to the beginning of this year where you had a couple of bank failures and, and you know, some of those were caused by nothing other than the rise in the interest rate and what the banks had on their balance sheet and how they manage that risk from funnel. The second part of that is, you know, we all may be sitting in an office right now, but a lot of people are not. And if you look at the vacancy rates in office buildings where Banks have been a big provider of finance for that sector. There's a lot of disruption going on, a lot of offices that are really struggling to try and maintain any level of occupancy in their buildings. And a lot of people are kind of taking a hybrid approach back to work where they may be downsizing in the amount of seats that they want to 
do you know take on an expiring lease. So there's going to be a lot of disruption in that office sector, which is going to have a negative impact on banks as they kind of pull back overall and say, how much capital do I need? What are the losses that I may experience? And so you know they're they're looking at that aspect of it. And then secondly, you know, as again I talk about it, focus on the regulatory side, and I spend a lot of time with bank regulators as well. And there's been a couple of things that they've been working on as well that are going to put pressure on the total amount of capital that banks have to hold, partially as an as a result of some of these bank failures that we saw in the beginning of the year. And oh, by the way, interest rates are really high. So you know, with, with where that where those banks got into trouble earlier this year, besides their commercial real estate portfolios, you know, they weren't paying us anything to put our money in a bank, right? And all of a sudden interest rates started going up and people said, I can go get, I can make uh, a return on going to buy a treasury. So all of a sudden banks have gotten more expend, expensive in terms of how they fund uh, their their loans. And so this has also caused a pullback for them as well. And so there's a whole bunch of things that are unfortunately you know, coming to a head at the same time from the banking sector that are uh, really constraining the uh, availability. And I, you know, I have some nationally based, very, very large owners who go to access uh, debt when they're going to go construct or finance something. And historically, because they're great owners and they have a great portfolio and they have had historically performed very well, they used to say, that, oh, I got 20 banks lined up or 25 banks lined up. And now there are, even those guys are saying, yeah, there's maybe only four or five banks. And while it's great, they've got a couple, it still is in very constrained market. And overall, that liquidity is a challenge. The one, the one group that's providing liquidity happens to be Freddie Mac and Fannie Mae. And that's, you know, I also cover their regulator in Freddie Mac and Fannie Mae. However, just talking about the overall size of the market, each year their regulator puts in place a cap. How many loans can they buy? And each one of them have $75 billion worth of total capacity that they can purchase loans in the open marketplace. Given the decrease in the amount of uh, refis that are going on, decrease in the amount of transactions that are going on. I'll give you Fannie Mae's uh, end of third quarter was only at $42 billion out of $75 billion. Fourth quarter is not going to be all that big. So what you're going to see is even Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac are providers of liquidity are going to see dramatic decreases and uh, not even getting close to meeting their cap. So just to give you a sense that it's just overall the market is super nervous and very much constrained in terms of what their outlooks are right now. So I guess, Dave, though, with the, I guess the real estate industry, they're not taking, I guess, the opportunity from Freddie Mae and Freddie Mac just from the standpoint of the interest rates. They don't want to lock themselves in. So they're just waiting. And so they're not at capacity just from the standpoint that nobody's willing to take the risk right now. Yeah. So there's a couple different things that are going on in, in terms of you know, if I'm an owner and I have a long-term loan and I'm, it's not maturing anytime soon, I don't really have a lot of incentive to do anything with that. I don't want to refi it. I probably don't want to sell it because interest rates are super high and it's going to depress the the price in which I could probably sell that at. So you have a lot of people who are just operating their properties. Uh, on the other hand, there are some people who have loans maturing. There are some thick. There are some floating rate loans that either have their caps expiring or they're floating rate loan is expiring. So what are they doing if they're forced to go to the debt markets? And what's happening, and if you look at a lot of people are doing short-term loans, 
Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac have been doing a lot of five-year loans, even though I uh, talked about earlier that we were going to do 10-year, uh, oftentimes doing 10-year loans. The, a lot of people are doing five-year loans. And the reason they're doing those is because they actually, it's almost like getting a floating rate loan without having to buy a cat, which is exceedingly expensive right now. So when you take floating rate and look at where the 10-year treasury is or where SOFR is, and you add a spread, and then you have to add a cap. If you're going to borrow on a fluent rate basis with a cap in it, you're probably paying somewhere 9%, maybe even up as much as 10%. Whereas if you do that with a five-year and you can refinance earlier out of that, you're going to save some money. So you're seeing some people take advantage of uh, the ability to do shorter-term loans because they are worried about what you said is, I don't want to lock up 10-year money at 8%. I don't, I don't want to do that. What can I do to make it less costly to reposition myself when I think interest rates may come down in the future. That's a really good question, Christy, and, and a great answer there, Dave. Thank you very much for for that. And when you start talking, Dave, when you start talking about liquidity issues, and um, Christy, I want to go to you because I think of when he, when he says liquidity issues, business owners, clients are sitting there going, well, there's going to be some more expense on my books this year, right? That just, it, it always fits, right? So, if we're looking at the finances, if we're looking at the financial statements of uh, a real estate industry client, what are some of those other expenses that they're gonna that they're probably gonna have this year that maybe they didn't have last year? Or they're higher this year. Can you kind of speak to that a little bit? Yeah. So right now, I mean, we're uh, our clients are dealing with um, increased property tax assessments. You know, with the increase in values, those assessments are just through the roof. Also, insurance costs, those have gone up exponentially, and I don't think I've talked to a client in the last several months who, number one, haven't complained about insurance and really just trying to figure out a way that they can minimize that cost, looking at reevaluating their coverage um, and just really trying to price that out, just doing anything they can do to control those fixed costs that really have just gone through the roof. And Dave, I know that you all have seen that as well. And, you know, a couple months ago at the annual meeting, I know a lot of um, your customers, they were complaining about that. And that was one of the hot topics at the conference was insurance cost and property tax assessments. Yeah. So insurance, clearly uh, the, the heat is not turned down, not at all. Um, it, that it, it continues to be a major problem. In fact, there was a hearing uh, here in Congress last week that we submitted a, a comment letter uh, raising those concerns that you'd mentioned. And, and clearly, if you're in uh, areas such as Florida, Louisiana, California, that have experienced climate-related issues, your property insurance has gone through the roof, right? So that has clearly been a, a big concern, and sometimes you can't even get access to it. So we did a study earlier this year. We, we produced that, and we also um, made recommendations in terms. I think historically, you just kind of call your broker up and say, "Hey, you know, I'd like to get in, you know, renew my insurance." And now there's probably some things that you know, if people are owners out there that are seeing these big increases, take a look at your properties. Take a look at you know, does the insurer understand what you may have done? to your own property to make it more resilient that you may have upgraded some things. And so, you know, maybe a way to drive down some of those increases that people are seeing 
Um, but it still is a concern where if you look at last year, Florida experienced some pretty bad weather events, and there were a number of insurers that either withdrew from the state or they they went bankrupt. So uh, continues to be a major issue, continues to be a focus for us. And um, we even um, are hearing from some of the regulatory agencies that they're trying to figure out what they should be thinking about doing as well. Want to receive a monthly newsletter with wrap topics? Then head on over to warrenabert.com forward slash the wrap and subscribe to our email list to have it delivered right to your inbox. Now, back to the show. So if we're talking about finances, let's go to probably one of the favorite topics people want to talk about beyond that, and that's taxes. It's exciting. It's fun. But we've got all of these these things coming up, right? We have the Tax Act expiring in 25. We've got the the deal with the bonus depreciation happen. I by no means am a pundit, but you guys are. So share with us your thoughts around some of these, these taxes that uh, you're seeing out there now. What's going to be happening? Well, you know, one of the great things about the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act is it really allowed for 100% bonus depreciation on a lot of lesser life assets, um, which really in the real estate industry, there was a, a lot of assets that could be, you know, could take advantage of this. You know, for instance, land improvements, personal property, you know, for multifamily appliances, those type things. And real estate owners and developers really have been able to benefit from that. Well, starting in 2024, that is going to start, you know, reducing 20% per year until, you know, it expires. And, you know, Dave, back in September at the annual meeting, there were um, many members of the Ways and Means Committee from Congress there and spoke about some upcoming, I guess, you know, extensions of this, one of which was the bonus depreciation, which really, it made everybody excited. Everybody loves, you know, an extension of a tax break. Um, but as time goes on and fighting continues in Congress, it seems like I'm not so sure that we can predict whether that will get extended in 2023 as as we hoped. I don't know if y'all have heard any different. So we haven't. Look, I mean, I, you know, I, I think it would be hard to ignore uh, the fact that uh, the House took a while to, to get a new speaker. Um, the current uh, extension for the budget expires in 10 days. So there's a lot on their plate to get through the appropriations process to say we're going to fund the government. It's got to be the major focus, right? So then you hit, that's, if they can get that done, they'll do a, another continuing resolution to kick it down the, uh, down the road. And you start to run into Thanksgiving. You've got other things where Congress gets diverted in terms of where they're going. The question is, can they actually pass anything from a tax perspective before the end of the year? It's probably going to be more of a challenge this year than other years because of some of this disruption that's going on. And the question would be is, are people willing to sign on to something that's an extension? I'd love to give better news, but I, quite honestly, this one's a little bit up in the air whether it's going to get done or not. Um, and then, as you mentioned, the, the next thing, and the, even though 2025 seems like a long way off, um, I sometimes uh, think of Congress as, as a bad student who doesn't study for the final until the day, you know, the two days before the final, and then they kind of really kick in. 
And that's a little bit like that. So we're going to have these, uh, you know, the, this major tax act expiring at the end of 25, and they're probably going to wait a long time. But the other thing that uh, interferes with that is we have a presidential election next year. Senate has a good chance of flipping a Republican direction, and the House has a good chance of flipping on the Democratic. And then what happens, right? And so, um, and who knows who's going to be in the White House? So there's a lot of unknowns that cloud the kind of forward direction of what's going to happen. But it's something that, look, it's going to be meaningful. There were a lot of things that happened in that Jobs and, and Tax Act that were beneficial that we fought to get included in there or to get excluded that were beneficial to the real estate industry. So it's something we're monitoring very closely and something that, you know, if I were to kind of tell you to look at, have your clients watching, you need to be prepared, uh, you know, if things don't go our way, what are we going to do to anticipate the impacts? Yeah, that's a good point. Back in September, they were really, um, I think, from both sides of the aisle, they were promising to work together and compromise um, and we're very hopeful. So I think we can continue to hold on for hope. But I think as as you point out that um, our clients and real estate developers out there need to be prepared to for the anticipation that they may lose a portion of that deduction this year. Interesting information and definitely helpful for the folks listening in. Um, you know, one of the things all industries mention technology and its impact on on that industry and it's kind of different for everybody right manufacturing governmental some um, are are lagging behind in, in adoption some are trying to be trailblazers where does where does the real estate industry fall as it relates to using technology to drive solutions to some of these problems we've talked about is there is there you know something to to speak on there well i would i would actually hope that some of your clients took the opportunity to visit with us at, at our Optech conference last week in Las Vegas. We had th- over 3,000 people there, so by far our largest uh, attendance ever. And exactly, Paul, what you just mentioned, there's a lot of technology-driven solutions that are out there. Some of them resident-focused, some of them are uh, owner-focused, management-focused, and so there's a lot of activity going on. One of the things that I would you know, kind of walk away from uh, centralization is a big deal for those who own multiple properties and bigger property owners. They're looking at how do I centralize um, all of my operations and not have overlaps. Clearly, the ability to address uh, labor shortages, anything from do you have on-site managers or is everything a virtual tour to how do I find maintenance people for my properties? And there are people who are providing solutions for those types of things. And then, you know, uh, the screening process for inbound residents is also something where um, on one side, there's a lot of uh, issues that are getting created with fraud. We have a lot of uh, people, and I'm sure uh, some of your clients are well, are experiencing uh, fraudulent uh, um, applications. People can buy uh, you know, paychecks and W-2s, et cetera, off the internet, they all look very good, but they don't have ever an intent of um, paying uh, for any of their time in a unit that they then may be difficult to evict from. I have two things where people commented there that 65% of their applications, applications were fraudulent. And so there are people looking to provide those kind of solutions as well. So on the resident-centric side, you know, there are People are providing 
uh, positive rent payment uh, reporting. They are looking at splitting payments across a month if uh, their their clients are looking at that. So there's a lot that is going on that is uh, technology-driven solutions for a lot of things that we do from kind of A to Z as it relates to everything that has to do with um, operating and managing a property. There's a lot of good information there. Um, definitely things to consider. Uh, as we, we look forward, what challenges or, or maybe what opportunities are there uh, on the overall business strategy? So there's a couple of things. Um, you know, we talk, I, I mentioned before about um, people having floating rate loans that mature. I do think that there are uh, potential opportunities to the degree that uh, some of the clients are good operators and they have um, access to capital. You may have some people who bought at the peak of the market in 2021 when, it, you know, the floating rate interest rates were basically zero and they bought them at a floating rate and they said, hey, this is great. And all of a sudden they realized, I don't really know how to manage a property and my interest costs are gone to the roof and they may be selling their properties in a stress situation. Now, having said, there's a lot of other people chasing this kind as well, but it may create an opportunity you know, if you know somebody off market or whatever else. So I would encourage people to take a look at that and make sure that they are looking at those types of things. On the same note, from a pure strategy perspective, you know, one of the mantras that came out in September, as Christy uh, was talking about, is there are people talking about surviving until 25. And the idea there is they think interest rates are going to be high in 24. You're still going to see some stress and disruption in the market, but things will get better in 25. I can't tell you whether they're going to get better or not. They may. Look, we're all going to be optimistic about it. But, you know, the, what they're simply saying is, I think people are still going to hunker down a little bit in, in 24. Um, we'll see what happens. The one other aspect of it, which may help a little bit, even though rates may be higher. Um, last summer, when the Fed did their first pause, a lot of uh, my finance members saw a pretty significant increase in interest of people buying and selling properties. And part of the reason was because the 10-year was really um, flat, didn't have a lot of volatility. So we could take the volatility out of the 10-year. If the Fed finally says, we're done, then maybe that long end of the curve stays a little bit uh, more consistent. And you may see some of the market movement with new pricing, new reckoning, you know, they're going to recognize the fact that we're not going back to a 2% 2% 10 year uh, loan, we're going to, where it's going to be higher and we're just going to figure out how to make it work with that. So, that I would, those are kind of things that if I were uh, in the market and, and uh, operating, I would take it, I'd, I'd kind of keep my eye out. Christy, anything you want to add to that? No, I just want to piggyback what Dave said. I think for, for many that do have access to equity, there'll be some good opportunities. And I think for others, I think they will hunker down. I think they will focus a little bit more on the costs they can control, um, on budgeting, those type of things. Um, and we'll hang in there until interest rates come back down and, you know, the market shifts as it always does. It's cyclical. Here on the wrap, uh, we like to wrap it up in 60 seconds or less. What is the one thing uh, you want the listeners to, to, to know or to leave with? It may be something you've already said. It may be something we haven't talked about yet. But what is what is that wrap up? And Christy, we'll start with you. I would just say that, you know, the wrap up would be to um, watch the market, 
to stay in close contact with your advisors um, and and hold on until 2025. So I'm going to put that plug in to survive until 2025. But the one other thing, and, and again, I don't know from your listeners who is a member of uh, NMHC to the degree that you are. We put out tremendous amount of research, uh, information on advocacy. I'd mentioned earlier about insurance. We just put out paper out on artificial intelligence, which certainly has the interests of Congress. They're all scared about what does AI mean. And so highly encouraged to kind of stay informed. And uh, you know, we put out a, a lot of great information to really kind of keep people in touch with going on in the marketplace. In addition, as soon as I hang up from this, um, you know, from a regulatory perspective, the federal home loan banks um, are getting some, uh, you know, new guidance from the regulator that uh, may be beneficial for uh, finance uh, uh, from the banks that are members of the federal home loan banking system. So it's a lot going on here in D.C. that from a regulatory perspective that people should kind of keep their uh, ears and eyes open on. That's wonderful. Hey, listen, heartfelt thank you to both of you, David and Christy, for joining us. Uh, I certainly learned a lot. I know our listeners have a lot to take away and unpack. Uh, very much appreciate your time. We know you're both very busy with this. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you all very much. And that's a wrap. If you're enjoying the podcast, please leave a review on your streaming platform. To check out more episodes, subscribe to the podcast series or make a suggestion of other topics you want to hear. Visit us at warrenabritt.com forward slash the wrap.